0: You girls, have your beer. Hey everybody, this is Charlie from MathRax and you are listening to today's Boondoggle. This is Mark Metcalf and
1: you are listening to today's Boondoggle with Bailey on Domain Cleveland Radio. You are listening to today's Boondoggle with Bailey on Domain Cleveland Radio. Yes, Kato Kalen listens to this all the time. Welcome to today's Boondoggle. Now get To, so Heath, and to Today's
0: Boondoggle. Hey what's up it's John from Skillet And you are listening to Today's Boondoggle On Domain Cleveland Radio
1: Fasten your seatbelts Sonic Temple Art and Music Festival Returns to historic Crew Stadium Slipknot ah! Disturbed, Pantera, the original Misfits, Evanescence, Slim Biscuit, Judas Priest, Stay. Breaking Benjamin, A Day to Remember, Falling in Reverse, Sleep Token, Rise again, 311, Cedar, Mudvay, and many more. May 16th through the 19th, Columbus, Ohio. Tickets on sale now at sonictemplefestival.com.
0: What's going on, everybody? It's Bill Bailey with today's boondoggle. And real quick housekeeping note, if you're watching us on YouTube or BitChute or Rumble or Odyssey, please hit that follow and subscribe button. And if you're uh, listening to us on Spotify or Apple, Google, whatever podcast platform you utilize, please hit that follow and subscribe button uh, so we can continue to bring you conversations like the one I'm about to bring you today. I'm uh, very, very excited about uh, today's interview. I know I've been been blessed to have a lot of really cool... uh, People on here with some amazing stories and some conversations but uh, um, this man right here I've had the pleasure of getting to know uh, for the past several years and every time we talk uh, he's a huge inspiration on my life and I'm, I'm blessed to call him a friend today uh, my friend mr. Tommy Hollenstein hey doing Tommy
1: good how you doing today
0: I'm doing good I'm doing good uh, so Tommy, you know, uh, usually when I have people on for the first time, I like to, uh, you know, get a quick background. Uh, but uh, do you remember, like, what you originally wanted to be when you grew up? Uh,
1: uh, at what age?
0: <laughs> yeah, like as a I mean, as the little lowest
1: kid, he was probably a popsicle man. You know, <laughs> just a kid. You know, yeah. but my dad was in the restaurant business, so I always kind of thought I'd fall into the
0: restaurant business for quite a few years. Okay, and then like when was it where, uh, you know, like uh, art started uh, calling you?
1: Well, you know, I was always into art since I was a kid. I, was, I mean, since four or five years old, I was creating and doing stuff uh, with my hands. You know, whether it was drawing, painting, and then getting into building, you know, bicycles, BMX bicycles, taking them down, tearing them apart, reupholstering the seats and stuff like that, making custom paint colors changing the paints every month or whatever. Um, and then uh, in the elementary school, then I started, you know, they started allowing me to paint backgrounds for the plays and different things. And then I got into, you know, making custom skateboards and just, and then once I had some VW uh, bands, I was doing all the woodwork and that and just always doing something
0: creative with my hands, you know, um, nice. So it's always been kind of like a calling of yours. It was, it was,
1: you know, but, uh, and I, never uh, really, very, I mean, I thought maybe we would have a future in it, but then, you know, I forget which teacher, fifth grade, sixth grade, you know, said, no, art's a hobby, you know, you got to pick a career. So at that point, you know, how am I going to get my parents to ever pay for art school? So I just kind of was always keeping it on the side you know, all the way to school and stuff through school.
0: Yeah, you know, it's 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 funny, even people that with the, with the best intentions, how they can, you know, kind of disrupt going for your pursuing our dreams. You know, as a, as a kid, you know, we can either have a positive uh, influence that encourages you no matter how far out it sounds. But, you know, I had the same felt with the same kind of stuff. Like, you know, when I was a kid, I, I was uh, I used to like record on, on a cassette tape, like make my own shows. I was inspired by Johnny Carson and The Tonight Show and stuff like having interviews and stuff like like this. And. You know, my parents are like, well, you you know, so I thought about getting into radio and stuff like that. And they're like, no, nah, you need to get a real nine to five. And, you know, right. you know, with the best intentions, you know, but now here I am, you know, 50 years old, finally getting to, you know, do what I wanted to do as a kid. Right. But uh, you're also like a big fan of music and everything. And what was like uh, some of your early influences in music?
1: I mean, what was it? Uh... Well, first, probably Led Zeppelin. I mean, early, even before the Beach Boys, Led Zeppelin, Jethro Tull, uh, Eagles, David Bowie,
0: uh, The Who. uh, A lot of rock. Yeah. And then you had mentioned, like, putting together, like, BMX uh, bikes and and stuff as part of your, like, uh, creative side growing up. But, uh, you know, I'd read that you weren't involved in like uh you know kind of more like the ex- extreme sports types and and you know you said uh skateboard decks and stuff like that and then you even did uh surfing and everything correct
1: i did yeah i mean i, I the first thing i got into was a bmx and bmx rice racing bmx bicycles i mean out here you know canoga park next to Receda is where bmx really first got started we were building the first bikes really you know going down to midas Musler and you know cutting off parts of the sissy bar and making crossbars and and, redoing the frames and all kinds of different things. And then BMX started to take off pretty good. Then once I grew out of that, then I went skateboarding, got really into skateboarding. and I would take a wood shop in summer school and I would start making custom wood skateboards. And I got into competing in that. And, uh, you know, I mean, I still got some of my old stickers and some old stuff from the 70s, you know, uh, uh, back when it was first really getting started. You know, skater cross, and there's a place called Toilet Bowl by my house, which was a, a big a drainage ditch that uh, was first some of the first uh, type, pool style type stuff, pool skating type stuff. And then I got into surfing in eighth grade. Once I discovered surfing and started going every weekend, and that was really my passion, my, my, my love. You know, I got into comp, you know, competing through WSA, then NSSA in college, and uh, I surfed for Pepperdine's team. And I moved to Newport Beach when I went to Orange Coast College for a couple of years and served Newport Beach for a couple of years straight. And like I said, I had a BW van, so every weekend I'd always take off and go do a weekend trip down to San Diego or up north to Santa Barbara, Rincon, various beaches depending on you know, if it's summer or winter.
0: Yeah, so you got like really active in that scene for a little while then, huh?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, living in Southern California, 20 minutes from Malibu Beach. You know, and at one point, I, you know, my parents had a condo uh, right in the county line, and I got, a, you know, my first job out of high school was flipping burgers at the line shack, which was a hamburger stand on PCH, uh, right across from Neptune's net. It's no longer there, so people don't even have any idea. There used to be a hamburger stand, and the owners, uh, Ray Gann and Clark Merritt, and they built a surf shop alongside of it as well, uh, Pacific Vision Surfworks. So, yeah, I... I you know, it was the top of the year for sure. You know, you yeah. get two surf breaks, paid cash, and hamburger meal for free every day.
0: Yeah, I think I remember you sharing that story with me before. Like, yeah, you get the flip burgers, get, get fed, and then on lunch break get to go hit the waves. Exactly. Nice. And then, uh, you know, as uh, that went on, uh, you know, like I think some of your Top three things that uh, I recall talking to you about were like, you know, surfing, sunshine, and, and, and women. Uh, well, you know, <laughs> as you started grow, getting older, there, you know, what was that that a whole uh, culture like in that scene uh, back in that day?
1: Well, I mean, it was just there was a great beach scene. You know, I mean, there was a lot of private beaches still there, a lot of private surf spots that nobody really knew about, spots that you said you used to have to hike down to, you know, and then you tell a couple of girls about it, and then. They'd bring all their girlfriends and watch the surfers um so you know it's just uh, it was all just part of this summer scene then brought in you know through the winter um, we surf through the winter as well but uh it was just a great lifestyle you know malibu down there was just uh you know malibu Topanga, all the beaches and the county line staircase zeros Had has some great great times down there great memories
0: nice yeah and then um you know uh back to like some of the uh uh biking and stuff you, you did. Uh like I mean even you know, you would go from surfing and then you'd get into the the biking. Let's talk a little bit about uh some of the when you got into mountain biking and
1: yeah, I got into mountain biking. Well, because when mountain bikes first came out we're somewhere around 83, 84, three, eighty four, I'm thinking. Um by 84, I had my first uh, Schwinn High Sierra. I think there was Schwins and stump jumpers. That was the only thing. And then once that started to come out, I'm thinking, man, I've got to start. I've got to really get into this deep because, you know, since I used to BMX race, I could. I know, this, you know they, they're starting to race with the uh, mountain bikes. And uh, so I started really practicing hard. I go, go to work every day and come home and ride, well, ride in the morning before I went to work. Come home and ride in the afternoons again. And. Uh, just really build myself up,
0: and then that was like—I uh, mean, you—you kind of were competitive with—with—with with, with both of those. You actually competed for a while.
1: I didn't compete in the mountain biking yet. No, I was just preparing to. Uh, it really because it was just getting started, uh, and then I ended up having a a, a bad accident. Uh, in 19- yeah, I,
0: and you know, I wanted to get into into that, and uh, you know, that part of your story, but. Like real quick, when you were doing the BMX, and though that was competitive, so yeah, the competitive. I did
1: the BMX competitive, but yeah, at uh, uh chestworth Park South, we used to the uh, demonstrative Division Police Department used to put on races every other Saturday. So I used to race BMX bicycle, and I also had a side hat car. My buddy Ray was the peddler, and I was the monkey. I was the one pushing the sides and throwing my weight side to side to keep the, the third wheel down. So, but yeah, it was, it was great, it was very competitive. It was, You know, I mean, it was an active time back then for kids. I mean, there was no way we spent any time in the house. There's no computers, no computer games, stuff like that. We were outside every day practicing and, uh, you know, and and building bikes and trying to build them lighter and faster, you know, taking them apart, just tearing them down, building them back up. You know, like I said, also, you know, repainting all the time too,
0: and that was part of your like uh, where some of your art creativity would come into play too. You would add your own personal touches to
1: it. Oh yeah, absolutely. I do different fades on the paints and different things. Um, you know, tape it off. Different you know, combinations of colors and stuff like that. And then, like I said, you know, I'd do some sort of a reupholster the seat to match it to the front, and uh, different things like that.
0: Nice. And. Uh, Going back to what uh, you were referring to, you know, you started getting uh, into the mountain biking, and then, uh, you know, unfortunately, that's when uh, you you suffered that accident. Uh, you want to share a little bit about that that story?
1: Yeah, it was uh, March tenth, nineteen eighty five. Real sunny day. I went for a bike ride that morning. Came home, got my VW van. I had a nineteen sixty three VW split window van went and had breakfast in the kitchen at my dad's restaurant drove out to malibu went to my friend's church, surf shop Zuma j talked to him for a while about getting a new board and stuff and then uh, came back home and then decided to go for one more ride with a friend of mine and we were headed towards uh, bell canyon taking a shortcut across the kind of construction line whether was going to build build uh, new houses so there's a dirt lot a slope a dirt lot and a slope which i'd gone down a week and a half prior to and it was all slopes so I went down the first uh, slope and then across the second lot, down the second slope across the third lot, And what should have been a third slope was five and a half feet straight down and about four feet out and two feet up to build a retaining wall. And all of a sudden I got there and just caught me by surprise said, oh my God, this is going to be a bad one. And all of a sudden I, you know, I went to push my front end down because, you know, I was already too late to try to pull up and uh, it hit my head. And as soon as I hit my head, I died immediately as i was up in the clouds looking down at my body i was going oh my god I'm, I'm dead it's my time to go i could see the my body laying there motionless i saw those wheels of the uh, bicycle spinning and i wasn't in it i was not in my body i was going farther and farther away i thought god please don't take me now give me another chance as soon as i said that little prayer i came right back into my body i'm laying there completely motionless had no idea where my legs were didn't really feel any pain could only shrug my shoulders up and down like this and uh so my wrist was kind of laying limp. I thought, damn, that's not a broken wrist. I don't feel any pain. I'm, I'm paralyzed. I'm still going to die. I mean, my lungs will probably fill with fluid, and I'll, you know, and I'll drown in my own fluid. And a buddy of mine, Dave, was about 20 yards behind me. So when he got to me, he said, hey, Dave, don't move me. Don't move me. I said, I broke my neck. Nah, nah. you broke your collarbone. You broke your collarbone. I said, no, I broke my neck. go hike up to a house, call the paramedics, and call my parents. So he called both people, you know, the paramedics and my parents' house. And my mother, I could hear a horn honking within minutes. And I said, Dave, go find me that. That's my mom's horn. Go find her and bring her to us. And he did. And she's an ex-Marine. She just kind of lost it a little bit. But, you know, she kept me pretty calm. And then, uh, you know, waited for the paramedics to show up. I could tell them what I could feel, what I couldn't. And then they taped me to a board that would be uh, less traumatic to fly me out of there, than drive me out of there. And uh, so that's what they did. They flew me over to Northridge Hospital. Where I was met on the roof, you know, cutting my clothes off me in the ER and taking x-rays and IVs and all kinds of monitors and telling me I needed to uh, put a trach in because I was not going to be able to breathe. I broke my neck at C4-5. And I refused the trach. And they thought, well, you'll, you'll never make it through the night. They called the priest in to give me my last rites. I'm thinking, ah, I made it through the day, God's not going to let me go through the night. And so I still continue to refuse that, the breathing treatment, the, uh, the tracheotomy. But then they wanted me to do breathing treatments for the next, you know, every two hours. And I'm thinking, ah, that's, you know, if I get, you know, pneumonias for old man. how am I going to catch pneumonia? I'm 24 years old in great shape. So like I said, I've been riding every morning and every afternoon after work. And uh, so I didn't really take the breathing treatment seriously. Within a week, I caught pneumonia, my left lung collapsed. I was literally, literally fighting for every breath I took for the next 19 days while I was in intensive care. You know, they put, put my head in traction. The first night for like seven nights. And then they put uh, put a halo on the following Saturday. And every time they would sit me up, my neck was still slipping when they would take an x-ray. So they said, look, you know, you got pneumonia really bad. You're not going to beat this thing. You know, it's going to kill you if we don't get you sitting up straight. So I could only sit at about an 80-degree angle because I was uh, really lightheaded. I'd pass out and stuff. My blood pressure still today is only 70 over 40. So anyway, so then they... Um, um, they did a fusion on my neck. I went into surgery. They uh, put some screws in my neck. Took some uh, bone pieces off my left hip and fused four, five, six, and seven together. So my level of injury is four, five, and six. But I've got some C6 function. I've got a little bit of wrist function here, you know, where I can move my wrist, um, which allows me to pick stuff up. You know, just because of the pressure, like a pen or a paper, you know, chapstick pen. And a piece of paper um, but it's you know it gives me a little more independence which is awesome you know I mean I just really fought for like I said every breath I took and I I fought like usually like I was in a competition during that next six months in Northridge Hospital and then I got exposed to you know they were trying to teach me how to paint with a mouse stick at that point and I was also doing some you know ceramic work and stuff like that but the mouse stick thing just was not fluid for me I know there's a lot of great mouse stick artists out there like Johnny Erickson and stuff I knew of Johnny's work before I even had my injury, and uh, but just wasn't fluid, so I kind of just didn't do anything artistically for quite a while. You know, ended up just focusing on getting better for the next two years, and then got a you know small part-time job working for Science Diet dog food right after I got my first service dog Weaver.
0: Yeah, so that was like uh, um, part of your therapy. They wanted you to get in art to as part of your recovery, like. And uh, you didn't, I mean, and and art was already uh, a passion of yours. You didn't want to do the, uh, you know, paint with your your mouth. But uh, as, I mean, first I want to touch on like, you know, just the the fighting to to get through that uh, period. But then as you started recovering, what was the acceptance phase like for you you know for this is this is life now well i accepted it right away because like i said when you
1: die and you get a second chance you get pretty grateful right away you know and the other thing was i was in there with 13 other people with spinal cord injury one guy was drunk jumped off a roof that into a shallow pool one guy was in a car with a drunk driver on high school graduation night so he's blaming himself and blaming the driver another girl was in the car a girl happened to know we went to pepperdine together uh her uh, friend fell asleep at the wheel and they went off a pch and she ended up breaking her neck so and then another guy was 13 and his, his friends thought it'd be funny if they loosen the front tire on his bicycle the front tire fell off and broke his neck that way i mean i didn't have anybody to blame i didn't I mean, thank god for it and it wasn't an accident i wasn't high on drugs i wasn't drunk you know, had nothing to do with any of that stuff. So it made it easier to accept. And then getting a second chance, like I said, in life, you know, you just, I just started being grateful for everything I, I still had. And I just had to fo- put the focus on that. I didn't really think I'd be paralyzed forever when the doctors were telling me, I thought, ah, you know, I'm going to get a miracle. And by the time I, the six months comes, I said, I broke my neck March 10th. And when they are telling me I wasn't going to be surfing that summer, I'm thinking, no, I'll, I'll be out here before summer. I've got to surf this summer. And well, all of a sudden, that started playing. You know, I spent the hospital, spent every night at the hospital. You all of March, all of April, May, June, July, August. I got out late August. You know, and it got just set, this set in that it was pretty real. Plus, nobody else was. Well, one or two people would end up walking out of there, but uh, that wasn't my fate. You know, but uh, I've been blessed. I, you know, had good insurance at the time. Had a great family, a lot of support, a lot of friends that were, you know, coming to visit me on a daily basis, and. Uh, like I said, I used to be competitive, so I just had to take this to another level of being in a competition and just trying to get better for myself.
0: Yeah, you know, I, and um, I mean, it's, it's your your faith I, I, through this, uh, through getting to know you it has always been, i found, you know, been such an inspiration to me. Uh, you know, when I'm getting those woes, me's and stuff like that, you know, and then I get to, you know get a chance to talk with you and how you're able to, you know, share your experience and everything. Um, you, it it seems like, I mean, after have, like you said, after having God given you that second chance, he wasn't just going to give you that second chance and, and let it be wasted. So, um, you get that second chance and you keep this, this, this gratitude and this positive attitude, but let's talk about, you know, um, you know, you're getting out. This is a part of your life, and you're out. And then you get into um, back into the, the world, and then, you know, kind of like the party scene.
1: Well, I was 28 days sober at the time I broke my neck. I had already stopped partying because I was going to school for Nick Harris Detective Academy. I had uh, one day left to finish before I broke my neck. I broke my neck on a Sunday. My final day of school was going to be that Tuesday. So I, you know, I, you know, before I got out of school, I said, you know, I've got to just stop partying. You know i to do a lot of cocaine and you know hang out at the bars quite a bit um, you know and i put all that to an end and uh, like i said it was 28 days so it wouldn't happen so i continued that path you know guys would bring meetings to me at the restaurant a lot of support i mean i the hospital you know and uh stayed, stayed really positive that way you know but then all of a sudden when i wasn't working 15 16 months later i'm running out of money well maybe i could do a little cocaine and sobriety. So I started getting, you know, dealing and I started feeling guilty after a month. And next thing you know, I'm using again and partying like crazy and selling kilos of cocaine. And I don't know, about seven, eight months later, come March 3rd, I'm surrounded by 17 FBI agents uh, and getting arrested for two kilos of cocaine conspiracy on, to, to, to uh, distribute 20 on a bimonthly basis to this person. So I end up getting six months of house arrest, five years probation. Uh, Forty-year suspended sentence. Uh, it was pretty much of a nightmare at that point. I had to move from where I was in the valley to LA um, to uh, you know get get a new new PO. There's some a lot of craziness went on at that point. But then, uh,
0: yeah. yeah, you would uh you know you shared uh, like I said I've I've heard some of your story before, but um, you know I always was curious like you know. I mean, you're in you're in a wheelchair, and then you're dealing. Like, was it like kind of like no one's gonna ever suspect you know me? You know, yeah, that's
1: what I kind of thought. But you know, plus uh, you know, I um, she's the housekeeper. Just text me and say she's here. She's gonna walk through here in a minute. Um, right. Yeah, I did. I thought nobody's gonna suspect me. I thought you know this is. Um, you know but i but then i you know started partying i didn't really care about anything at that point you know i started hanging out with lots of girls and just partying and thinking i was really enjoying life once again you know like I, I okay got, i got a great life back in you know but it was just a you know it was
0: all a lie. Kind of, yeah it's kind of like you know how um our false false self worth or ego starts creeping in especially you know, when we're, when we're using and, right. uh, you know, we just start thinking we're invincible, invincible. Once again, even in your situation, you've, you you know, had, right. Had that come back. And then, um, you know, I mean, so that's how we became friends, you, you know, um, through both being in, in, uh, in recovery. Um, but let's talk a little bit about, you know, when um you know after that incident when when you 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 were on probation the fbi rated you like what was your turning point then to turn things around
1: well i just you know got sick and tired i mean i just you I know mean, I, I well from that point on i was in and out of the program for 20 years i could get a year two three and four but i was still doing you know crazy stuff. I was still doing some ungodly behaviors. I was still hanging out in nightclubs, you know, after meetings and going, you know, with sober guys and going to strip clubs and just hanging out with all the wrong people. But then the guilt and the shame behind that stuff would eventually take me out again. You know, I could get a year, I could get two, I could get three, I could even get four years sober, you know, off and on, like I said, for a 20-year period. Then I started partying again one more time and then started smoking cocaine really bad. Was spending all night, all day in the house here, you know, and then I was still in contact with my sober buddies. And then one buddy, one day, my buddy uh, Mike, downstairs, said, "Hey, you know, I've been talking to my friend Dallas and a couple other guys. They, they want you to give him a call." And I knew who Dallas was through program, and I also knew through his music. And I thought, you know what? There's somebody that doesn't even know me from Adam, I, I want at least the phone call. Um, say yeah hang on one second the housekeeper's gonna walk by are you gonna be able to stop this for a second edit it
0: uh not probably not but it's all right okay
1: um anyway so the housekeeper's gonna walk in i'm just gonna tell him
0: all right we'll get a cameo from the housekeeper there we go Um, (laughs) but uh yeah so like um so you give dallas a call and uh and and you know it's funny too, I wanted to touch on it, you yes. know
1: and my housekeeper's walking too. Okay. Yeah, It's okay. Come on through and then uh you can just start on that side of the house.
0: And like we uh you know um uh, even in even in, in recovery, you know, well, there's still like people, places, and things, you know. Right. We, even with our our sober group, you know, there's still people, places, and things, and who you run with, you know, kind of dictates how well you're going to do. And I and I've, you know, I've been in that same situation, like you said, and like it's just a matter of time, you know. But uh, so that you give you decide to give Dallas a call and let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, well, I
1: give Dallas a call and just you know, like I said, I'm thinking, hey, if this guy cares about me, he doesn't know who I am. At least the the oh, phone call is saying thanks, but no thanks. I know 10 minutes in the conversation, he says, well, do you have a sponsor? I said, no, not at the time, not at this time. He said, what do you do now? I want not you show up at my house tomorrow at 2 o'clock? For some reason, I said, okay, I'll be there. And I showed up at this house at 2 o'clock the following day and, you know, 15 minutes in the conversation, he's telling tell me about your sex life and, and sex life, what kind of freaky you guys is. <laughs> but, you know, we just start talking about, you know, going to strip clubs and doing different crazy things that ungodly got any behaviors and. Because if you stop that type of behavior and we get that out of your life and you just make a lot of changes, you know, you'll stay sober. And uh, so I trusted him, you know, and then he invited me back to his house that following Sunday for a men's group. And then introduced me to a, you know, a men's stag group where everybody had to share. Just going around the room going, oh, my God, everybody here's got to share, you know, can't hide the corner. And then invited me back again on a Monday night for another men's stag, which was just a room of remarkable people. Um with long-term sobriety, a couple of newcomers, but uh, just real stable guys, you know, and they had started that meeting in Dallas's uh, hospital room when he was getting a liver transplant. So it was just a solid group of guys that really cared, and just all they cared about was helping you get through what you needed to get through to stay sober one more day. And I just really, you know, gave it 100%, really trusted God was going to speak to Dallas to speak to me, and anything he asked me to do, whether it was in the big book or not, I'd be willing to do it. So that's what I did, you know. And we uh, really did everything he asked me to do, really worked the thorough steps and, you know, and took, took uh, commandments and meetings and really got involved with men's groups. And it was a game changer for me, you know.
0: Yeah. And, and once you followed uh, his advice, me. that's when it really started uh, changing yeah. for you then.
1: Yeah. You know, if, if you really trust God to, have you know, you're speaking through somebody that you trust it's going to work you know um, and that's what i had to do you know but, uh, you know I've, I've had a changed life ever since then i've you know i finally got back into art and you know I, I was already painting you know quite a few years ago 23 years ago so i you know as my first service dog got older i kept thinking one day i'm going to roll through a pile of paint and have the dog walk through a bottle alongside of me so that we could go across the board together and uh, create a painting so that uh, I'd have a memory of he and I other than just a photograph and I've got that painting. Not this one behind me, but on the wall to my left. And uh, so that's it, you know. I mean, that's how that, that the whole art thing got started for me back once again.
0: Uh, yeah, that was uh, Weaver then, your original your yeah, service dog. Yeah, that was my first
1: uh, about
0: a 90-pound full and, yellow
1: Labrador dog.
0: And, uh, yeah, and, and Weaver kinda was uh kind of helped you pick your your way, your unique way of doing art then. Kinda inspired that or Yeah, God used
1: the dog to get me back into it, you know. Otherwise I never would have had any reason to think, hey, I'm gonna paint with the tires of my chair. Why would I want a reminder of my accident, in my wheelchair on a daily basis? But also when God showed me the the love that I had for that dog and the down that dog really got me more independence and got me more freedom and you know, me and my buddy Mike, who I mentioned earlier, you know, we started going to all every major sporting event you could imagine. We went to final four playoff games together on the final four final game. Um, uh, up in uh, Seattle, we went to a uh, world cup at the, in 94. I believe it was in uh, the Rose Bowl with all six games in the final game there. Went to uh, a couple of world uh, series, one with the Dodgers and one with the Angels. Uh, super Bowl uh I just everything so it just and then and that dog was there to accompany accompany me in in all those events so you know every time I look at that painting, it just reminds me of you know what a great time I had with that dog and you know and that dog lived to be uh, 15 and
0: a half it was together with me in a little over 13 and a half years uh um, which you know and, and you kind of knew it, it's his time was coming up and that's what inspired you guys yeah to do that yeah art together and
1: that's when I realized hey, wait I can use the tires of my chair Yeah, and I just started creating on a daily basis after work at uh, a place where I was selling wheelchair accessible bands at the time so I'd gotten to that, that was my final you know, my, my last job before getting
0: into painting full time and creating art and doing gallery shows and, and, uh, and, and that um, I mean that's you know like a, your unique way of creating art then that took off because of that um like you said god using you know uh weaver to help inspire that but also god kind of you know continuing to use you know your accident and what happened to you you know what what with the with the other some of the other mindsets of the other patients that you uh had experienced the same thing that you you were with you know you're what what could bring somebody down and just be you know depressing and a, a, a depressing reminder? You've used now as art to inspire positive messages for other people that enjoy your art. That now you know you're spreading positivity through your art now. Right. And uh, like what it has been like. Uh, and and the other thing is like your art's so unique that uh you can't really replicate any pieces everything is a new creation right
1: yeah and, there's no uh, way you could replicate you know art with the tires of the chair which yeah is a good thing you know i mean with ai and everything else out there now and everybody's you know stealing everything it's, it's it'd be very very tough to recreate my my style my type I mean, i have taught quite a few kids how to paint with the tires of their chair um you know some art class back in england and these little kids are you know using their tricycles and bicycles and stuff you know they call it the tommy hollenstein art class it's just <laughs> cute it's great you know it's inspired a lot of kids and you know i get the opportunity every um, january to go down to the aquarium of the pacific at long beach and there's a um, disability awareness weekend and uh, i do two classes each you know on saturday and on sunday where we have kids in wheelchairs sign up to take one of my art classes and they all go home with a 12-inch by 12-inch panel that they created and painted by themselves. So it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to see the joy in their face and kids getting creative from being kids.
0: Yeah, let's talk about more a little bit about the some of the opportunities now that you've been given to uh, inspire other people um, with your, your art and um, just your story. You want me
1: to bring some of the opportunities up or did you have a list?
0: Um, Yeah, like, uh, I mean, what, uh, you know, you mentioned what you do with the kids, but uh, like, what other opportunities ha- have you had to, to uh, you know, inspire others and, and share through your well,
1: art? I've, I've met a lot of musicians, um, you know, Slash was one of the first ones to show up at one of my shows one time. And I delivered a painting to his house and we became really good friends and kept that friendship all the way until today. Um, even with his kids, I've watched them grow up and stuff. You know, and I got introduced to the other, other various musicians and stuff and they, they they tend to like the art. And so I've been, I you know, have an opportunity to meet a lot of people I would not otherwise, you know, I mean, various people throughout the, all over the world. You know, I've done shows here in LA, Phoenix, Seattle, New York, I've shipped, I've shipped art all over the world. You know, one of the, the biggest opportunities, the most rewarding opportunities I ever got was I did a show at the boston children's hospital with terminally ill kids they flew me out there for about five days or so and i did two days of painting with kids and wow i mean those are terminally ill kids that you know a lot of them have already passed away from from that point um and just watching them coming in and do their chemotherapy and you know painting during the day and i'd go visit them at night and the, the girls would have their wigs off and laying on the nightstands next to them and just just watching those kids fight you know and we like. You know i got to do a big painting where they all got to participate as well and they also each got to take a painting home so you know opportunities like that just you know just are amazing it's just uh, it's a real blessing you know um, god's opened a lot of doors for me that i definitely could not open for myself and a lot of opportunities to bring joy that's a uh,
0: real meaningful joy you know yeah I'm, I'm yeah in that area for sure and then um you know uh Let's talk about, you know, some of your, like, art shows that you have, like, uh, um, there locally. Um, How are those events usually go? And what what got you, uh, you know, when you first started getting into the, doing the art shows, what was that process like?
1: Well, it was an unorthodox process that I went through to get that first show. I started showing up at galleries with my artwork and talking to different people. Some people would slam the door on me. Some people would talk to me and say, no, well, that's. You, know, you got to submit through a website and different things, and then all of a sudden I went local to a high-end gallery in Calabasas. I think it was back in 2005, and the lady really liked the art, and she said, "All right, let's let me go pick up my calendar. Let's pick out a day." And I had I sold nine paintings that night. You know, at least the least expensive painting was about sixteen hundred dollars that night, and it really gave me a boost of confidence, saying, "Okay, I can really do this," you know. And then from that point on, I just started hosting other shows you know, showing with a track record that I had that I could sell art and other galleries would start taking me along. And I did a lot of submitting overlying over computers and different things and different shows and museums and and, uh, universities, stuff like that. I mean, it's a hard hustle, but it's uh, it pans out, you know, and then when we got into COVID, you know, during lockdown, it was kind of everything shut down. There was an uh, app called Clubhouse where I I was, it was like a private app. You have to be invited. Somebody invited me on. I met people from all over the world on a daily basis. Some of us were on there like 15, 16 hours a day, different art groups. You could sign up for, you know, whatever different interests you had, there was a room going on for that. Sometimes up to 3000 people. And that's where I first got introduced to NFTs and, you know, board API club and all the different things just happened to be in the right place at the right time. I even created, I haven't uh, dropped it yet. My own NFT project, which was a uh, 20 foot by 400 foot painting. A thousand panels that were 24 inches by 48 inches. I did 100 panels at a time. Brought that last row to the front. Started with another 100 panels. And then you know, started with the same four colors. And that first group of 100. And added another color, each group of 100. So we came up like a little over. At the very end, a little over 17 uh, colors on the last group. But it went, you know, four colors, five colors, six colors. And uh, so hopefully that project will drop sometime in 2024. Because after the crash of crypto and stuff, we it, it just didn't quite time it. Uh, right. But <laughs> yeah, I, I remember 20 you. 20 foot by 400 foot painting, you know.
0: Yeah, I remember you uh, sharing with, with us about uh, when you were working on that. And, uh, you know, you mentioned, you know, like how, uh during COVID you got, you know, on the clubhouse. And I know that that was kind of when we got introduced as well, because we had zoom and, you know, what was like, I mean, what was a time of uh, a lot of uncertainty. And, and I know a lot of, uh, you know, uh, brothers and sisters that, you know, we lost because they, they went back out, you know, and, and, um, I don't know. It was, I, I look back at it as like a blessing, you know, because I was able to meet so many people and connect with so many people like yourself that I would never have, you know, had the opportunity to form relationships with. And, uh, even during that time, it's like, I've shared with people before. It's like, you know, both my daughters are young women and they got their own lives and they're running around with their friends. So I don't get to spend as much time with them as I used to. But during that time, it's like, we got to rekindle our relationship and, and, uh, you know, spend more time together again. So, you know, I look back at you know, it, it, was, it goes back to that mindset, like you were talking about with the other people in, in the hospital too. Just okay. like, is this a blessing, or am I going to let this be, you know, drag me down? And and I tend to be that guy a lot of times <laughs> that goes to that that lets it spin and in, spin uh, into the hole. And uh, you know, that's why I'm I'm so grateful to have guys like you in my life to to remind me, and I've been working on that and getting better with, like, looking at the positive, being more grateful for the, the things, you know, like that experience. Um, I know also, like, uh, I've read that uh, there's this place, the Dream Center that you've done right. shows with or associated with. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it's a church downtown
1: L.A. that I've been involved with about 27 years, 28 years, maybe. Since the onset um, it's a uh, it's an old Queen of Angels Hospital but I, I started at the Dream Center. I was at a, a Christian conference 90s sometime in the 90s, 95 94 and uh, I met the girl there that um, her cousin had just started a church in downtown LA called the Dream Center is in a small building. So I met her there one day and there were some guys in wheelchairs there like six guys and they were taking them to a basketball. Um, practice afterwards. And wow! this church really has a heart for disabled. So I really started going back every Thursday night and every Sunday and then said, Hey, we're buying this building. Why don't you come check it out? And I saw that they had a gymnasium there. I thought, wow, I could bring those guys instead of having to drive them to Pasadena, we could do our own wheelchair ministry out of here. So I got involved with that church right away, right when it was first moving to that building. And since it's been all remodeled, it's, uh, they've got about 750 people living on campus. Um, they got a one floor for homeless uh, families to live there free of charge. They got a floor for homeless men. I uh, mean, you know, I'm sorry, uh, homeless vets, men and women. And they've got a computer lab for them. We've got a floor for uh, uh, men coming off of drugs and alcohol. It's a one year program minimum. You can stick around two years and even go into leadership at the third year. They got the same for women. Uh, they've got emancipated minors home because kids that were out, of, you know, pulled out of the foster care system at the end. Uh, That's a two-year program. They've got, you know, uh, a thrift store there that's free for the the community to come, you know, get clothes if they need it. Some, you know, suits and stuff for that that they might need for an interview. Um, People come there and eat on a daily basis. During COVID, they're serving three hot meals a day in a drive-thru, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, 2,500 people a day. Uh, They still have, you know, uh, food trucks that leave there uh, on a daily basis, about 30 trucks a day go out and deliver food to the community. It was just amazing. It's what a church should be doing. Yeah. You know, especially for that drug and alcohol program. They just did their big gift giveaway with 2,500 bicycles and, I don't know, 20,000 toys or something for the kids over the weekend. Saturday night, you know, they had it all set up and lights and games and Ferris wheels and dance contests. And it's just beautiful what they do there. Um, they do tutoring for kids the whole bit. So it's just, you know, I've been involved there, like I said, 27, 28 years now. And uh, it's just, that changed my life, you know, seeing, seeing uh, a group of people that are so giving and, and so honest. I mean, if there was a dream center in every little city across America, there'd be no homeless, there'd be way less homeless than probably 3%, 4% with the drug addicts and stuff, because they give them an opportunity to really rebuild their lives. They're not just giving them a home and a free place to live. They're, you know, teaching them and, and educating them and, you know, and also teaching them, you know, Bible verses and. You know, a strong relationship with God, which is what you're going to need to to stay sober for a lifetime. It's a, it's really about building that relationship
0: with God and keeping that on a daily basis, and really putting
1: God first in everything you do.
0: And that that that's definitely being a service. You know, that church is definitely uh, yeah uh, being of service. And you know, um I mean, that's like like I said, the, one of the biggest inspirations that. You know, I get every time I, I, I talk with you or, uh, you know, hear, hear, hear you share is uh just how, how strong your faith is, you know, and uh, it sounds like Dream Center has been like a big, big part of the growth of that, you know, and how you live live your life today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, They've been a very big part. I'm very grateful for them. It's just amazing what and- An 18-year-old kid came down and did you know, the last 27, 28 years. And it's just grown bigger and bigger on a daily basis.
0: Yeah. And, um, you know, let's, uh, before we get ready and wrap up and stuff, let's talk a little bit more about, um, you know, your, how your, how much your faith has grown? What, what else, you know, I mean, you've already, you know, you, you died and God gave you the second chance, but like, how many other like miracles and blessings have you experienced or witnessed on your journey? Countless. I mean,
1: I'm, sometimes even on a daily basis, I mean, just, you know, I mean, through myself, through watching others, watching others growth, you know, just, I mean, I see God do things for people that, you know, unimaginable. I just, it's just, it's, you know, if you really have your eyes open, you really pay attention to all the little things around you, there's miracles happening around us on a daily basis. Like I said, you know, just, you know, even like during COVID, I mean, for a guy like myself with a compromised lung condition, I've only got 37% lung condition, lung capacity rather. You know, I've gone through COVID three times. Thank God. I never took that jab because I know a lot of people that had a lot of health complications after that. But, you yeah. know, and be able to stay healthy and just uh, trust God, to, you know, get to get you through anything.
0: Yeah, it's like he's brought you through all this already. It's like, you know, what won't he bring you through, you know? And exactly. obviously still still got so much uh you know, pl- work for you left to do here, man, and oh yeah. I know like I said every every time I I I mean, I'm trying to get all choked up here, but uh yeah. you know, I just know how much you mean to me and every time I talk to you, man, how much you inspire me and I'm just so grateful and blessed to call you a friend today and um appreciate what that. do you continue to do to uh you know for your spiritual maintenance
1: well every morning the first thing I said, you know as soon as i wake up i would say thank you god for the day we're checking love and serve you you know please help me stay sober today and, and i i do some readings on a daily basis the first thing in the morning i really talk to god i got to do that before i can do any emails Texting, any even checking my emails or texting, you know I've got to put God first and then uh, move about my day and then just trust God, you know and expect something. I go to bed every night, and say, all right, God, what, what do you got? What big surprise you got for me tomorrow? Let's man, let's do something big, and uh, you just never know what what's gonna happen. I mean, I've been out at lunch sometimes. I you know especially on a hot day here in the valley, I'll you know I'll paint in the morning, get a little overheated, drive 20 minutes to Malibu, eat some lunch out there, meet some people. Get into somebody who, who, you know, not having a good day and just get to talk to them encourage them. You just never know, you know. So God's working on a daily basis if you just keep your eyes open, you know. Um, I'm looking forward to the new year, you know. We're coming to the end of the year here. I mean, I mean, I, my motto for this year is, you know, more than 24, and I'm expecting God to do big things, you know. More shows, more art shows, more, you know, people that uh, – Reach out and need help and get, need, to get introduced to uh, either a church or sobriety, anything. Um, I just have hope to have my, my eyes and ears open.
0: Yeah, amen. And then uh, before we get ready and wrap up, I got a couple questions that I normally ask my guests. That I'd like to ask you, um, who are three people who've inspired you and you can credit for making you the person you are today?
1: My dad, my family, my mom, uh, the church and God.
0: Amen. Yeah. And then uh, when, when you know, God does finally call you home, um, what would you want your legacy to be? You know, how would you want to be remembered? Wow. thought about that.
1: Um, that I was a giver, you know. I was always willing to give my time,
0: my resources, my friendship, my love. Yeah, definitely. Are there any causes or organizations that that you support and encourage other people to check out?
1: Um, Well, Canine Companions for Independence. That's where I got my service dog. They're all over the country here. Um, Triumph Foundation, which is a spinal cord injury foundation. I'm getting ready to go to their Christmas party in a couple hours today at Northridge Hospital. They, they're they very involved with the Southern California Spinal Cord. area. You know, they do sporting events. They do um, uh, mentoring. They show up at the hospital on a daily basis for people that new, are newly injured and talk to them, introduce them to support groups, and just do whatever we can. You know, I've been trying to do as much as I can to help the uh, founder, Andrew Skinner, uh,
0: build that as much as I can as well. And and then any uh, message you have for our military members currently serving overseas?
1: Just stay strong, man. Trust God. Thank you for your service. My mother was a Marine. Um, She was a stationed over in Hawaii for five years back in the fifties. But yeah, just stay strong and trust God. And, you know, um, that's it. You know, yeah, I think
0: all the all the times that we we've we've shared, I think that's the uh, this is the first time I found out that uh, your mother was a marine too. It's, oh, wow. that's awesome! My, uh, you know, because I told you, I think my that my dad, you know, he was a World War II marine on the invasion of Okinawa and stuff. So, both raised by Marines. <laughs> exactly. She was tough. And then they made a good. And then difference. yeah, and and then um. Like for uh, anybody that uh, you know, any of the audience that's like watching and getting to hear your story and know about you for the first time, and want to like support your art and check out your art and you know, uh, you know what you have going forward, where would you send them?
1: Go to my Instagram Tommy Holland, at Tommy Hollenstein, or my my website Tommy Facebook Tommy Hollenstein. I'm on all the platforms, TikTok the whole bit but everything's under
0: Tommy Hollenstein. Nice. And then, Tommy, I forget, what was the, you know, I, I, I remember there was like a little mini documentary about you that uh, was on Vimeo um, that I got to watch. It was very inspiring that I would definitely encourage people to check out, but I forgot what the name of that was.
1: It was called Rise. Uh, if you Google my name, you might find it there. I'm not sure. Okay. But if you put Tommy Hollenstein... A lot of stuff will come up. Watch the one that says Boston Children's Hospital or the water skiing one. There's a lot of fun little videos out there um, that have been different interviews and TV shows and TV newscasts. And,
0: yeah. Yeah, I liked to see when I was uh, looking at, at some of the older stuff, I definitely like the, the ones back when you were sporting the Mohawk too.
1: You like that, huh? <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Mm-hmm. Man, Tommy, you know, thank you so much for your time, man. It's always a pleasure, uh, talking to you. you I, I'm so blessed to to have you a part of my life today. And, uh, you know, you mean the world to me, man. And I appreciate you taking the time today to do this with me.
1: Absolutely. I appreciate it, Bill. You know, I cherish our friendship. I'm glad I got to do this and, uh,
0: hopefully it reaches a lot of people. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I hope so too. And then, uh, You know, uh, hopefully in 2024, you know, I'll get to come out there to California and and meet you in person, see some of the artwork. Wait for this rain to go away. It gets warm weather. (laughs) Yeah, sounds good. Um, And then real quick before I let you go, one last favor. Do you mind cutting a promo ID for me? Just introduce yourself, and you're listening to today's Boondoggle?
1: Yeah. Uh, This is Tommy Hollenstein. You're listening to today's
0: Boondoggle with Bill and Tom. Awesome. Tommy, thank you so much, brother. I appreciate it. And uh, Thank you. Have a good time at your uh, party tonight. I will. It's going to be this afternoon. Yeah, it should be a good group of guys.
1: Last year we had about 63 guys and girls in wheelchairs. That's pretty, pretty interesting.
0: Wow. Wow, that's amazing, man. Well, thanks again. Thanks again for your time and, you. and all you do, man. And And we'll be in touch. All right. Have a great day. All right. You too.